You're listening to episode 117 of Alexa in Canada, The Voice Experience. Hey there, I'm Dr. Terry Fisher, one part physician, one part voice enthusiast, one big part Canadian, and one small part of our community, Northern Voice. Together, let's explore how voice technology is transforming our lives north of the border. Let's talk voice. Hello there, and welcome to the podcast. This is a fun one because tables are turned on me in this one. This one is actually me being interviewed by Nick Myers on the Artificial Podcast. But before we get to that, I do want to let you know about today's sponsor, and that is Vocal ID. If you had a chance to follow along with my other podcast, you may have heard me interview Rupal Patel, the CEO and founder. What is Vocal ID? Well, the best way to explain it is when you think about voice assistants and how many places these are going to be in, whether it's in a kiosk, whether it's actually in a wearable, or of course, smart speakers. Get this, there are soon going to be more things that talk than people in the world. And The issue is that brands have to be able to differentiate themselves and find ways to connect with their audience. And that's what Vocal ID does. They are a voice AI solutions company and they create custom vocal personas for brands and for individuals. Their technology leverages decades of research and the power of modern day machine learning to generate unique vocal identities from just a few hours of audio custom built in days. So if you want to learn more about Vocal ID, I encourage you to check them out at vocalid.ai. All right, so let's get to today's podcast now. Today, as I said, I was recently uh, interviewed on the Artificial Podcast by Nick Myers. I was very honored, very fortunate, uh, had a lot of fun, quite thrilled to be able to uh, be a guest on his podcast. And he did a great job of interviewing you. We covered a real cross-section of, of a lot of the interests and things that I'm involved in, talking about flash briefings, talking about uh, healthcare, and uh, it gives me a lot of pleasure to be able to share this with you. Along the lines of the voice and health uh, aspects of what I'm involved in, I do want to let you know well, two things. One, I have a coronavirus skill out that you might find interesting. We talk about it on this podcast called Coronavirus Doc. And number two, tomorrow, March 11th, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, the day it comes out, tomorrow, March 11th at 12 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, I am holding with some co-authors a virtual celebration book launch and conference it's free it's online and it is going to feature some of the world's uh, thought leaders when it comes to voice technology and healthcare if you would like to join us i encourage you i invite you to join us and you just simply go to voicefirsthealth.com/live and there you will see how you can register for that conference all right with that said i'm really excited to share with you the podcast that i did with nick myers uh here he is uh with the interview again tables are turned have some fun listening to this Hey there, artificial podcasters. Welcome back to another episode and another week of the artificial podcast. My name is Nick Myers, and this week I am excited to welcome the one, the only Dr. Terry Fisher live from Canada. He is going to be joining me in this week's episode to talk about so many different things, specifically what he has been able to build for himself. When it comes to flash briefings and briefcasting and and what Terry's been able to do is pretty incredible. But that is some some things we'll be talking about in just a a few here. But before I start talking to Terry and bring him on the show, let, let me tell you a bit about Dr. Terry Fisher. 
So Dr. Terry Fisher is a sports exercise physician and clinical assistant professor at the University of British Columbia. He is the founder of Voice First Health, the leading podcast about the intersection of voice first technology and healthcare. He is also the founder of Alexa in Canada, the leading Amazon Alexa resource for Canadians. He is an award-winning TEDx and keynote speaker, Amazon Alexa champion, educator, consultant, podcaster, and briefcaster who loves sharing his excitement for artificial intelligence and voice-first technology. He is the host of the weekly Voice First Health and Alexa in Canada podcasts and the daily Voice in Canada flash briefing, which is the number one rated Amazon Alexa flash briefing and new skill in Canada. Terry, welcome to the Artificial Podcast. How are you? Wow, uh, I'm great, Nick. Thank you so much for having me. That's, uh, well, very nice to hear all those words. Thank you so much. Um, it's a real pleasure to be here, Nick. I know that you are doing some incredible podcasting as well, and so to be a guest on your show is a, is a real honor. No, I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me because, again, I, I think we were having a little pre-chat here but before we started recording, and I think I can speak for a lot of people in the voice space when I say that when you think of flash briefings, your your name just pops in into my head specifically, and I know a lot of other people's as well, just because of the amount of work that you've put into honing your craft when it comes to flash briefings and leveraging that aspect of voice and, and briefcasting in general. So I'm really excited to, to have you on the show and appreciate that. Wonderful. I'm, I'm really excited to chat with you as well. Awesome. Well, I say we kick things off here because and I know we kind of met for the first time in person at Project Voice in January of this year, but I don't think I ever asked you what, what led you to get started working in the voice tech space that ultimately led you to found Voice First Health and Alexa in Canada. Well, I, I would say that this goes back to even when I was a kid, really, ultimately, is that I, I've always just really loved technology. Uh, like as a kid, I can remember I was, I was really um, excited about things, even like playing with radio control cars and, and building um, radio controlled airplanes and all that sort of stuff. And from there, you know, I, as, I, as I got a little bit older and I got into high school, I remember having, even before the Palm Pilot came out, I don't know if you remember those, um, but I had these little, they're almost like foldable little keyboard diaries and I'd keep my friend's phone numbers in that. Um, things just expanded from there. I've always had a real interest in digital photography mm -hmm. and, and video editing and audio and I'm a musician as well. And so all of that was a real big part of um, growing up and really being uh, interested in technology. And then just a couple of years ago, um, I was listening to podcasts as I do, mm -hmm. and I started to learn a little bit about this whole thing about Amazon Alexa at the time, and I was very intrigued by it. And so I did what most people do when they're intrigued by something, you start Googling it. And being in Canada, what I discovered was that, well, first of all, Alexa actually wasn't in Canada when I first Googled it. Um, but really? secondly, yes, yeah, actually... Um, Alexa came to Canada about two years after it was in the United States. Did not know that. And yeah, and in fact, the other piece that's important for for us Canadians is that the features on Alexa are actually uh, different, somewhat different than what's available in the United mm -hmm. States. And so, for those reasons, I wanted to create uh, a resource for Canadians to learn more about it because there really wasn't anything, uh, yeah. you know, after doing my search, and. So I went and I did that. I created the Alexa in Canada podcast and, and blog. And uh, shortly thereafter, I decided to dive into the flash briefing space. And then people started asking me, well, what, you're a physician, so how does this fit in? And that's when I decided that I would 
do a similar thing, but specifically looking at voice technology and healthcare. And that's how that uh, came together. And that was sort of my start into voice technology. That's awesome. I, and I think my, my next follow-up question here is because, of course, you, you being an MD, and I, I imagine you know, having that background has, has helped you to some degree, but how has being an MD, specifically as you just kind of described your journey getting into voice and flash briefings here, how, how has being an MD helped you be successful in the voice tech space? That's a great question. I think you know, part of being an MD is obviously I have a very strong science um, formal educational background. Mm-hmm. And part of that is being able to look at things, critically examine them, um, and being able to synthesize some information and see where, you know, where is, where is this going? How can this help us? And looking at what was out there and doing some research and bringing things together, obviously the, the computer science behind voice technology has uh, some similarity to the science background that I have had. Yeah. Um, I'm not a computer scientist by any means. However, I just think that um, frame of reference, the way my mind works, uh, seems to have some similarities in that regard. Yeah, that, that, that I completely agree with you there because even though I, a lot of people actually don't know when I started college, I actually also wanted to be a physician myself. And long okay. story short, took a chemistry class, wasn't my favorite thing I found out after all and ultimately moved into to marketing and different things. But I think what drew me initially to being a doctor was the type of thinking that's involved in that, the very logical thinking, the very kind of always having to look at things as a puzzle and place the piece in. And now that I've right. also joined the voice space and having to look at some of these different applications of it, I agree with you that that's exactly how it is, which is why I'm, I'm not shocked at all that your background as an MD has really helped you succeed and excel in this space specifically. I will also say um, that what I find very interesting is in my um, you know discussions with other people in the voice space, there's a lot of very creative people. And I think that lends itself well to voice as well as being this mm-hmm. medium where there's dialogue. And it just so happens that um, when I grew up, I also was very much involved in a creative space. Um, my mother's a music therapist and she trained as a professional musician. And she kind of decided that when uh, when her kids grew up, they were going to know how to play instruments. So when I was actually three years old, I started playing the violin. And I played the violin all the way up until high school till, till I kind of rebelled a little bit and decided <laughs> I was going to take up percussion. And so I've been a percussionist and a drummer now for, for many no years. Kidding. And, um, you know, and that's part of, and I love performing. I love performing. Yeah. And, and I think being able to take that sort of artistic side and my knowledge about music and sound and then bring that with the scientific side from my formal training, um, I think that's part of what makes me who I am. And, and hopefully that those skills come through in what I do. Absolutely. Well, now having gotten the opportunity to see you speak because you gave that amazing talk at Project Voice about briefcasting and flash briefings, I, I could tell when you were up on stage, I'm like, Terry's a performer. He must do something in music or something like that. So it, it, it comes through very clear. You're just natural at, at being up in front of people, which I'm, I'm assuming just helps you, you know, when you do your podcast, when you do your briefcast and publish your flash briefings. So that, that's a really fascinating story. But well, I, I appreciate think, that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think I mentioned too, before we started recording here, I haven't had too many people who I would consider experts when it comes to the flash briefing space on the podcast. A lot of it is, you know, dev focused or 
uh, VUI design focus, different things like that. Or of course, as I'm kind of breaking into different emerging technologies. So you're one of the few people I've had so far who really has a solid expertise in flash briefing. So for some of the listeners who I know do listen, who may not necessarily work too often in the flash briefing space, would you want to just maybe take a bit to describe here, you know, what is a flash briefing and, and not even just what is a flash briefing, but why do you think they are important in, as we look at the scope of voice as a technology in an industry? Sure. So I think of flash briefings really as a cousin to podcasts. And so podcasters will be very familiar with this. Anybody that listens to podcasts will be very familiar with this. But the idea of being able to listen in to somebody who is creating some content, hopefully around something that's going to be useful to the listener, and being able to develop that intimate relationship. And flash briefings or or briefcasts are an extension of that that now really uh, live on voice assistants. Mm-hmm. on Amazon Alexa, on Google Assistant, and so on. And I think, I believe that briefcasts really are, I'm referring to it as the prime real estate of voice because yeah. it is a relatively simple way for any content producer, whether it's a company, a nonprofit organization, or somebody just, that just wants to simply share a passion. It's a very easy way to enter into voice technology, create content, um, develop that intimate relationship, and become an authority in, in whatever area that is for you. Yeah, I was going to say, how, I mean, do you happen to know off the top of your head how many active flash, or I, I, I let me rephrase, how many active briefcasters there are, maybe whether it be in Canada, the US, or just globally? I mean, if it, I, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of prime real estate here because I, I just don't think a lot of people recognize the value, of course, in your testament that there is value, but how many, if you know, are, are people actively doing flash briefings or people who are in the space? Is it a very small amount when we, when we look at the scope of people who are doing things in voice? Yeah. So, you know, the statistics change rapidly. So I, I can't tell you the most up-to-date ones, yeah. but the last time I looked at it, um, I can tell you that, you know, the estimates are that there are now over about 100,000 Amazon Alexa skills. Mm-hmm. Of those, approximately 12,000 are flash briefings. Yeah, that's... And when you compare that, say, for example, to podcasters, there's approximately 700,000 podcasts out there currently, and that's growing very, very quickly today. So, put that in a different way you're looking at for every 60 podcasts that are out there there's about one briefcast right now and that itself can you know illustrate the tremendous opportunity that there is right now in this space yeah so do you think do you think the value of a flash briefing then is that really short form audio content that really anybody can just catch on the fly because for me when i listen to my flash briefings it's typically when i wake up in the morning and i'll i'll be i'll be candid i have an amazon echo dot in my bathroom so when i'm getting ready in the morning and different things that's when i tend to run through my flash briefings and and that type of audio content so do you think the the inherent value with this more or less is just because it's so short form and bite size and people can get that on the go yeah, I think it's that for sure. I mean, that's one of the elements is that it's so short form. Uh, most people I've surveyed in the audience, most people enjoy listening to flash briefings that are around two minutes in length. There's a little bit of variability there, but two minutes in length. And yes, it, they do tend to be listened to during transitional moments of the day, just like what you described, where you're mm-hmm. getting ready in the morning. That's the typical use case. And the fact that it's so easy to do, so you just simply speak to your smart speaker and it just starts playing it. You know, what's my news? that's about as frictionless as you can get. Yeah, absolutely. And and another thing that's really interesting about flash briefings compared to other um, Amazon Alexa skills, for example, is that once you have invoked the flash briefing the first time, once you have enabled it or, or started it by, by saying the name of the flash briefing, 
you actually no longer have to remember that invocation name because you just have to say play my news. And so one of the issues with Alexa skills is that people have to remember mm-hmm. the name of it and invoke it when they want to use it. Whereas for flash briefings, once you've done it once, you don't have to remember that anymore. So certainly I think the, 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 the short uh, form is key. I think the fact that it is frictionless is the other uh, big critical component there that makes this so, so easy for people to use. Yeah, and definitely to your point about when you use an Alexa skill, you have to remember what the invocation name is. And and I know just throughout being in the space myself over the past few years, that is one thing that personally I've always found just to be a, a bit annoying about the whole using a skill process. And even people who I've met at different conferences I've gone to and different things kind of echo the same thing where if, if they found, of course, the Alexa skill store and all these third-party voice apps, you know, they, they're like, well, I, I can't remember every single name you have to say for it. And and that's the benefit of flash briefings really is you don't have to remember that. And, and that is insanely valuable because it's one less thing somebody has to remember, right? They're, they're trying to use the tech. So Absolutely. what is your favorite thing about flash briefings and I guess briefcasting in general, since you've, you've been in this, this area of voice for, for a couple of years now? The thing that really amazes me about it is the fact that people really are impacted by the content. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been able to develop um, uh, a community around really the the briefcast that I have created with Voice in Canada. Um, I have a Facebook group, and it's amazing to see the comments. It's so gratifying. It's so rewarding to yeah. see the comments from people that say things like, oh, you know, I learned about this on Terry's briefcast. Or, you know, I had a question about this and he answered it on my briefcast and now I can do this with my Alexa. Or, you know, I learned this new feature and now my life is that, you know, that little bit much easier. And, <laughs> I love it. You know, and, and those are the things that I think are just so special about being able to share things on, on, a, on a daily basis um, and, and really being able to make a connection with your audience. That's something that I really value. Yeah, I'd imagine, you know, since I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you have lots of listeners who, who listen to your flash briefing. Well, I shouldn't say I assume. I know for a fact that you do. So getting that type of feedback from people saying, hey, this one thing that you said made my day better or allowed me to learn something new that improved my life in just a minor way, that that is extremely powerful. And I think if, if you're, you're somebody listening to this and maybe teetering, whether you should do a flash brief or not. I think what Terry just said there about, you know, once you get that first bit of feedback from somebody that your content helped impact them. I mean, my gosh, I, I can only imagine what, what that feeling must be like. How often do you tend to, to get feedback like that from people do you find? Um, it's been, uh, it's hard to put a number on that. It's been relatively frequently. Um, you know, I, I've been very fortunate that a lot of people have left reviews on, you know, on the Amazon skills store. And so, mm-hmm. I, of course, I read every single one of those. And a lot of that feedback also comes through there. Um, you know, as an aside, it's very interesting. A lot of my audience are visually impaired. Really? And yes. And I think that really lends itself to the fact that voice technology is such an inclusive type of technology where you don't have to be looking at anything to, yeah, to get the content. Yeah, or to even initiate it, you just talk to it. And so there are so many people that struggle with some type of visual impairment and they have provided some of that feedback and they have been 
very enthusiastic about learning new features that actually truly make their lives easier because there's something else that they can do now that they couldn't uh, do with a keyboard or a mouse, or at least not as easily. And now they can just do it with their voice. And so that, that stuff is really, really uh, nice to hear. Yeah, that's really neat that you're reaching people who are visually impaired because I can only imagine even more so the impact that the content you're having over your flash briefing and briefcast is impacting someone who really, you know, it doesn't have a, a, a sense, a huge sense that allows us to take in so much more information. So to be able to get more, how am I trying to phrase this, to be able to take in more of the world around you and take in content that is audio only, I'm sure just just changes people's lives. That's, that's incredible to hear that. That's amazing. So yeah, thank you. When we look at flash briefings too, you know, I, I remember as, as I started getting involved in the voice space back in 2017, there, there's really wasn't a lot of resources. And even if we look at that now in 2020, there, there, there is more resources available, but it's still limited. So when you started getting involved in flash briefings, how did you go about teaching yourself about them, about voice tech? And, and I'm assuming since when you started as well, there was, there was a limited amount of information available. How did you teach yourself all this? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a really interesting question because I think it, it actually kind of gets back to what we were talking a little bit about earlier. And is that is just with my, my formal training as a physician, information is always changing. And it's the responsibility of the physician to always be on top of that. There's always new research coming out. There's always new information. And so we're always learning and we're always trying to figure out what is the best way to, to uh, treat a patient. And I really very much took that same approach, but just applied it to, well, how, is, how am I going to teach myself how to put a flash briefing together? Yeah. I recognized the opportunity. And you're right, there weren't a lot of resources at the time. And... I went through a lot of the Amazon, um, you know, developer uh, information and manuals that are there. Mm -hmm. um, I had done some podcasting previously. So, and like I said, there are some similarities to podcasting. Um, I had previously played around with um, sound and audio and music from my background in terms of music com uh, composition and some, some composing some music. And so a lot of, you know, a lot of sort of the skills that I developed over a number of years did come together and helped me to create the flash briefing. I'm not a coder by any means. Mm -hmm. And that was one thing that I certainly had to look into and, and figure out like, if right. this requires a whole bunch of coding, that's going to be an issue because I won't be able to do it. But um, fortunately, Amazon makes that very easy to set up a flash briefing. It actually is very, very easy process. Um, and so just by doing a little bit of research and putting some of my skills together, uh, I, I eventually put it together. And you know, the first couple of episodes, you can go back and listen to them on my website. They probably weren't the highest quality. I was still ex um, experimenting and trying mm -hmm. to find my rhythm. But, um, you know, very quickly, I became more and more comfortable with it. And that's the same with anything, right? When you start, yep. it's always new. And you get better over time. And, uh, and fortunately, now it's out there and it's been going on for, you know, I, I'm losing track now with my episode numbers. I'm somewhere, somewhere about 750 consecutive days. Wow. Um, and, uh, and of course, there's some other resources that I've now developed to help other people uh, do the same thing. Absolutely. Well, and this may even be a good segue then into, I wanted to ask you about Alexa in Canada in general and what developing that has been like, not only what it has been like creating Alexa in Canada, but, you know, I know you kind of have a bit of a, a higher purpose of that in terms of helping other people understand flash briefings and providing them with some different tools to be able to create one of their own and some best tips, tactics, strategies, all that stuff. So maybe if you want to share a bit about Alexa in Canada and, and what is currently going on with that. Sure. Um, 
So as I mentioned, like Alexa in Canada really is a, a website, a resource, a, a destination for people to go that want to learn how to get more out of Alexa. Um, it, it's, it's certainly applicable to anybody that has the technology anywhere in the world. But whenever there is some sort of Canadian slant, I certainly do highlight that on Alexa in Canada. Mm -hmm. So if there are certain features that aren't necessarily available in Canada, that seems to be the biggest complaint from Canadians is that we seem to be a little bit slow in terms of getting some of the features that people want. Um, so, you know, we have some discussion about that. Um, and I also do try to highlight skills that are available in Canada. Um, I've learned that a lot of developers actually don't realize that they actually have to specifically specify to launch their skills in Canada where they will not necessarily be in Canada. Um, Interesting. That's a public service announcement to developers out there. Make sure your skills are in Canada because we Canadians want them and it's a more, it's a bigger market for you as well. It gives you another, yeah. uh, you know, segment of the population. Um, so, so that's really kind of the, the premise for the, the website. But then within the website, um, I have common commands because when people are starting, they're not really mm -hmm. sure what they can say to Alexa. So that I've got that resource. Um, I've got some tutorials, for example, on how to set up uh, common routines. Um, of course, I've got links to my uh, briefcast on there, Voice in Canada. And then because I'm so interested in flash briefings and, and really see the value of them for everybody, I decided that I wanted to create a resource to help everybody else do the same thing that I have done. And that, of course, is the course that I created, and it's called Flash Briefing Formula at flashbriefingformula.com. And um, that, that, was a, that was a lot of fun to put together. But um, it's, imagine, essentially, yeah. it's essentially um, 50, I think 50 different little sections. They're all very small, very bite-sized, so you can work through them at your own pace. But it covers everything from like how to come up with an idea to how to launch it, what equipment you need, the technology, the uh, how to set it up on Amazon, and even the marketing. And it's with screenshots and videos and, and everything like that. So anybody can essentially take that course and at the end have a live flash briefing on Amazon Alexa. Yeah, that is that is a huge value. And and then Terry talked a bit about this. Um, you talked a bit about this at Project Voice in January. And I remember you kind of breaking down some of the different components of that course. And if you are definitely someone who wants to get started in flash briefings and briefcasting that is definitely something to check out because again, Terry just has so many, you know, tried and true practices to, to what he's been able to build here. It's, it's really valuable. So, you know, if someone wanted to start building their own flash briefing or be a briefcaster, Terry, what are, what are one to two key tips, tactics, strategies that you would recommend right off the bat? Oh, it's tough. It's tough to choose just one or two, but I'll do my best. Um, I would say number one, <laughs> number one is I think if you are going to do it, and I do recommend that you do it, but here's the catch. You really have to commit to it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same with anything. Like as a podcaster, you'll know this. You really have to commit to be consistent because if you start it and then you stop it and you're not there for you know one or two days and then you come back and you're there for a day or two and then you're gone again, it's very confusing to the listener. You lose momentum. And you lose momentum. And not only that, I would argue that it actually can be damaging to your brand because the message that it's sending to your listener is that you're not consistent yep. and you're not reliable. And so the first thing that I would say is, number one, if you want to do it, it's a huge opportunity, but you really have to figure out if you can be consistent with it. And you know, you can define consistent how you want, whether it's daily, whether it's, you know, five days a week, whether it's weekly, but just whatever you choose to do, you need to let your audience know what that is yep. and, and stick to that schedule so that they know that you're a reliable person. Absolutely. And so I think that's one tip. And I think the other one is 
if you really want to have an impact on someone, and we talked about this a little bit already, is I think it's really important to think about what problem you can solve for someone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that, that problem could, could seem trivial. It could seem, you know, monumental. But the, the, but the issue is have a, a place, a transformation that you can take that person through by solving their problem. So, you know, with mine, what problem am I solving? Well, we've talked about it a little bit already, but people are getting their Amazon Alexa devices and they're not sure what they can do with it and how it can yep. help them in their lives. I try to help them solve that problem. How can you make this device, this new technology, uh, suitable for you and for your lifestyle? And that is really what it is. There's nothing, you know, monumental about that one, but people find that valuable. And I think if you go at it that way and figure out how can you solve a problem for people, then they're going to want to come back. And as they get those small wins and they learn from you, they're going to want to only engage even more because they realize the value in it. Yeah, those those are two incredible tips right there. Specifically, I really like the first one you mentioned where if you're going to do something like this, once you set your cadence, you have you have to stick to it. And and like you said, that it, it, it can, the same can be said for for podcasting as well. I think one of the the hardest things for me initially as we were getting this up and running was committing to an episode a week, no matter what, no matter what it has to get out. Because like you said, if you take a, like say in our case, if we take a week break without publishing anything or even longer than that, we lose momentum and it could be damaging to our brand, especially, you know, when you look at something like a flash briefing where people are expecting that depending on your cadence every day, every other day, every three days, you have to build that rhythm. So I think that first tip you gave there is really, really powerful. And I would definitely, if, if you're interested in developing your own flash briefing to take Terry's, take Terry up on that tip because that, that is going to help you succeed more than anything. So yeah. when we start looking at maybe this from a, a 10,000 foot view in, in not maybe just voice, but also maybe taking AI into account, I'm really curious to get your thoughts on, on this one, Terry. So specifically with you working in, in healthcare for a number of years, what do you think the impact from technologies like AI and voice will be on the global healthcare industry and maybe even more specifically in countries that currently have struggling healthcare systems? Oh, I love that question. That's great. A better question, I, however, I think is how is it not going to impact healthcare? Because <laughs> You're right. That I, is a better question. <laughs> I actually, I actually think, I actually think it's going to impact it in every single way that we can imagine. Let me, let me explain that. Um, where do I start? This is, this is such a big topic. I love this topic. Right. Um, I do too. So as, as you know, as, as the listeners will know, we've gone through a number of tremendous uh, technology uh, innovations and evolutions over the years. And I, I often like to say that, you know, I can remember when I came home and again, and it gets back to me being a, a techie at heart. I remember when my parents brought home their first, uh, our first personal computer, and it was actually a Tandy computer from Radio Shack. And you know, we put in MS-DOS through a five and a quarter inch floppy disk and we'd sit there and we'd, we'd boot it up and, and we'd type on the, on the keyboard because that was all we had. Right. And then, you know, we, a big, big next leap was we went from um, the MS-DOS, so Microsoft Disk Operating System, to, uh, to MS-Windows, where now we had a graphical user interface. So a big leap forward. And then, of course, this is now about 12 years ago, I guess, when Steve Jobs got up on stage and he introduced yep. the iPhone and we went to a mobile uh, operating system, iOS. And... I believe that we are now at the, the really at the precipice of a complete change in our operating system again, in that we're no longer going to be tied to a physical device that has to be in our hand, whether it's mm-hmm. a keyboard, whether it's a mouse, whether it's a phone, 
but now we just have a device somewhere off in the distance, an ambient computing device, yep. a microphone somewhere that's listening to you. And because of that, the technology and the way that we interact with computers is the most seamless way that we have ever seen. And because of that, it's going to make it so easy for people, for patients at home in, in the context of healthcare to be able to interact with technology in a way that we have never seen before. And that can mean um, interacting with uh, a device that gives you reminders to take your medication, something as simple as that. Mm -hmm. Or in the future, it might mean that there is an AI device that is actually acting in some ways like a physician where it starts to ask you questions about your symptoms and can start to take a medical history. Or even more fascinating, it just simply, it just simply listens to you and it can detect when you have when you are at risk of a certain disease. There's already research that shows that changes in our health status change the way that we speak and the AI can pick that up. And That's so incredible. that is really, really fascinating to me. And I think it really, um, boy, it's, it's exciting to think about how this is gonna impact healthcare over the next you know, five to 10 years. Well, I love that you brought up the example of, you could be sitting in your living room and using a voice assistant, it could function like a physician and essentially diagnose you. Cause actually one of the, one of the questions I was going to ask you after this one, um, depending on how the, the discussion went is if you ever think we'll get to a point where people can access their healthcare information via a voice assistant, like Alexa or Google assistant. And, and likewise, maybe even have a virtual doctor visit using one of these voice assistants. I mean, the impact that that could have alone is just incredible. So I'm going to assume at this point that yes, you think both of these things are going to be possible in the near future. Yes. And let me let me give you a little scenario. This is sort of a, a scenario, a fantasy scenario that I have, have happening have happening in the future, hopefully not too distant future. But let's just say that you wake up in the morning, and you're not feeling well, okay, maybe you have a sore throat. And you speak to your device, or maybe even your device at that point is proactive enough that it starts to talk to you when it hears that you're up. And just the way that we can detect, you know, if somebody has laryngitis, their voice sounds different, right? Yep. And so this device through the AI can detect that your voice is sounding different. And so it initiates a dialogue with you and it's like, hey, you know, how are you feeling? It sounds like, are you, are you feeling okay? Or whatever the, whatever the dialogue is. And you say, no, I'm not feeling okay, I have a sore throat. So it starts to ask you questions about that, just like the way a doctor would. Okay, well, do you have a fever? Do you have a cough? And so on. And then using some algorithms in the AI um, machine learning, uh, it says to you, you know what? Based on what you've said to me, I think there is a relatively high probability that you might have, let's say, strep throat. And you're like, okay. And, so the, but, and then the device says to you, but you know what? In order to truly diagnose this, we need to do a, a, a throat swab, like a rapid strep test of your throat. Mm -hmm. So how about this? How about I order a strep test to your home? Just imagine if Amazon does this, <laughs> right? And it gets delivered to your home by a drone within, you know, an hour or so. You then go, you pick that up from your door. The device, the voice assistant, talks you through how to do the test by yourself. Through an IoT or Bluetooth connection, it analyzes the results. It then tells you the results and says, you know what? You're, it turns out you do have strep throat. And now it says, now we need to get you some antibiotics. So it already knows through interactions with you over however long that say you're allergic to a particular antibiotic, it knows that. And so now it says, would you like me to order the appropriate antibiotic for you given your allergies? And you say, sure. And as, as you may know, Amazon has uh, purchased a uh, pharmaceutical dispensing company and 
and so what happens, of course, is you get those medications delivered to your home by a drone and you start to take the medication and the voice assistant talks you through on a daily basis to make sure that you're taking your medication and to make sure that you're not running into any complications from this potential strep throat. And so what has just happened? You have received personalized medical care in your home without having to go out of your way to go see a physician. That is extremely powerful. And I don't think that is that far-fetched with the way the technology is going. No, I, I, I'm just, I'm sitting here geeking out the entire time you were giving that scenario because we are like totally on the same wavelength. And you are exactly right. That that does not sound far-fetched at all. And that, that I truthfully 110% believe that will happen in our lifetime with yep. how quickly the pace of some of this stuff is moving. And even if you look at, you know, take for example, what, what currently is happening right now where we have this new outbreak of a virus that nobody has seen before. Think of how it will cut down the risk of spread if you can get personalized healthcare and medical attention from your living room with AI at the forefront funneling itself I'll, through a voice assistant. I'll tell you something here that I haven't said publicly anywhere else, but I'll break it right here on your podcast. Um, I am working on currently right now a coronavirus skill that will give people the information that they need to help guide them in terms no of what kidding. they're doing. Yeah, that is awesome, Terry. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. <laughs> that is so cool. Oh my gosh. Good for you. That is so, awesome. And there's a need for that right now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I'm in the process of sort of putting the final touches on it and we'll have to see how the approval process goes through Amazon and everything. But depending on when this goes live, it, it may or may not be live at that point, but the skill is called coronavirus doc. So that is awesome. Well, and, and again, that's just another example of using this technology to get information out there and give another way for people to easily access information, solve a problem and get results. And especially again, when we look at something like healthcare and diseases that can be spread in different things, the model that you just described is, is going to be so, so life-changing for so many people. And it's going to help us save time. It's going to, I think, when you look at that, democratize healthcare even more. Um, and I mean, the, the sky is truly the limit for some of this stuff. So I'm super happy that you shared that example. I think that's extremely valuable. And for, for breaking, that <laughs> you're putting together a, a coronavirus <laughs> skill here to help people understand uh, this new virus that is affecting so many people around the world right now. That's incredible. yeah, and I, I guess that's why I'm doing it, right? I think it's a perfect use case where, um, you know, instead, as you know, from personal experience, I know that I get tons of patients coming into the clinic who are scared because they've got a cough or they've got a fever or the, mm -hmm. and, you know, and and they're just there's so much hype, rightly or wrongly, about this virus that they think they have scared. it, right? <laughs> right, they think they have it, and they come and they do it, and quite truthfully. It's it's a it's a drain on the resources because they they don't need to be seeing a doctor for that they should be at home and if they just had some information that they could tap into at home it might help to or I believe it will help them to make a little bit better informed decision I'm not saying at this stage certainly not I don't want to give the wrong impression right it's certainly not taking the place of a doctor right now but it's giving them some general information that will help them to be a little bit more informed about the virus and you know what they should be doing. That's awesome. That is, that is extremely valuable. I commend you for, for taking the charge of doing that because I would have to imagine, I, I don't think anybody else is probably even thinking about doing something like that on voice and for people to just be able to ask Alexa questions to get information about this new virus and not have to be subject to some of the misinformation that's floating around on social media, which unfortunately seems to happen all too often in situations like these. I think it's yep. really cool. So I'm really excited when, when that goes live to, to test it out myself. And you heard cool. it first here, folks. He had, <laughs> That's right. Terry, Terry will be launching this soon. 
<laughs> I will be. I will be. Awesome. Well, as as we kind of wrap things up, Terry, from this amazing discussion, I, I always like to ask this last question here because I love the different um, opinions and, and insight that I always get from my different guests. But what is one thing that you think someone can do today to begin leveraging, I guess, in our case, for the nature of our discussion, voice tech, either personally or within their organization? That's a perfect question based on our discussion. I, I think the the thing that they should be doing is simply getting a presence on voice um, because this is the, you know, think back 10 years ago and, you know, everybody was talking about, oh, you need to be on mobile. You need to have a mobile presence. And those companies that were, you know, on the ball and did it, they established their presence. And we're at that time right now with voice. So you need to establish your presence. And goes back to our discussion. I believe that the easiest way to do that and to truly develop a relationship with your with your um, audience is through a flash briefing. There's no other. I mean, there's just there is mm -hmm. no other easier skill to be producing right now than a flash briefing, and I think the power of it is so great. So that's my number one tip: is just just get on it, start doing it. Excellent advice. I I couldn't agree with you more on that one. Well, Terry, this this has been an awesome conversation. I, I mean, I I always feel like every time we talk, I learn something for you, and I, I'm super glad that you and I got to meet in person last month. And I think all the the information that you provided in this episode is, is going to help a lot of people. So really appreciate you taking the time. And if anybody wanted to reach out to you or get in touch with you, what are some of the best ways for them to do so? Well, first I'll just say again, Nick, thanks so much for having me on your podcast. I, I really, really appreciate it. And uh, it, it, it really is a pleasure to uh, spend this time with you. I enjoyed meeting you as well. So uh, I'm, I'm very honored to be part of your podcast. Thank um, you. Where can people go to to uh, to get in touch with me? I would say that so my resources are um, alexancanada.ca, um, voicefirsthealth.com, uh, briefcast.fm to see the the flash briefing network, um, and if you want to get in touch with me on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, my handle is pretty consistent now on throughout all those, and it's Dr. Terry Fisher, Dr. T-E-R-I-F-I-S-H-E-R. -E -I -I awesome. And I, I can definitely attest that uh, Terry's Twitter game is on point. So <laughs> if you follow Terry on Twitter, you'll not only learn a ton, but he's extremely responsive anytime you interact with him as well, which I think is one of the beautiful things about the voice space right now. I, I don't know if you'd agree that everybody is yes. just so willing to help one another. And Twitter is kind of like the epicenter where, where everything seems to be happening. So, yeah, it is. Twitter and, is the episode. And, and I'm not sure if it's like that in other industries or not, but if you're interested in voice, you got to get on Twitter and start making connections there because that's that really is the uh, that's the hub. Absolutely. And before we go too, I know you've been announcing, at least I've noticed specifically this last week, that you have a new book coming out. So I don't know if you want to mention anything about that quick. Oh, I appreciate that too. Thanks. Um, yes, very, very, very excited about this. Uh, myself and three co-authors, um, David Metcalf, Harry Pappas, and Sandia Pruthi, we are uh, just about to launch the, the very first ever book on voice technology in healthcare. That's the title, Voice Technology in Healthcare. It's going to be officially launching at HIMSS, a major, major health information uh, conference in Orlando, in Orlando um, and it will be launching on March 10th. I'm trying to keep all the dates straight in my mind. Um, and we're, we're, we're tremendously, tremendously excited about that. If you want to learn more about that, you can go to voicefirsthealth.com slash book. And I will have all the information there about that as well. Fantastic. Definitely go and check out Terry's book. I've been seeing him do a lot of promo on it. And I think if you're anybody who's working in healthcare and even has the slightest inclination that voice can help, then definitely 
um, this book is something that you need to check out. So, well, Terry, thank you so much again for taking the time to share all your knowledge and have a great discussion with me in this week's episode. And I'm really excited to keep in touch with you as, as we work to, to extend the reach of voice technology everywhere. Cliche, I know, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Thank, thanks again, Nick. I really appreciate the time. Yep. Thanks. We'll chat soon. There you are. I hope you enjoyed that interview. That was a lot of fun, as you could tell. Uh, we really covered a lot of ground there. And if you are interested in hearing uh, any of Nick's podcasts, then of course I encourage you to subscribe to his podcast, The Artificial Podcast. Fantastic, fantastic show. I will have links to things that were mentioned on the show notes page for this podcast at alexaincanada.ca slash 117. Again, I do want to remind you again that this show was generously uh, brought to you by Vocal ID. They create custom AI-generated voices for brands and for individuals. And if you are looking to somehow stand out from the other uh, people in your market, your competitors, then definitely, definitely consider creating a custom voice so that you have that unique identity when it comes to your own sonic brand check out vocalid.ai for more information there and finally a quick reminder again if you are interested in joining us for the uh, online virtual book launch and conference tomorrow all about voice technology and healthcare please join us uh, voicefirsthealth.com slash live have a wonderful wonderful week i will talk to you again very soon take care